0: Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. Find over 20 million stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and video clips. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code TWIP9. This episode is brought to you by the new Squarespace. Squarespace introduces a new content management system, making it faster and easier to create a high-quality website or blog, plus mobile-responsive designs with automatic device scaling and more than 50 other new features. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, head over to squarespace.com twip and use the offer code TWIP. Nine. This week on Twip: new full frame bodies from both Canon and Nikon. Google has snapped up Nick Software. Sekonic introduces a touchscreen light meter, and Sigma reorganizes its lens lineup and adds USB connectors. It's Wednesday, September nineteenth, twenty twelve. And this is Twip. And welcome back to TWiP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today on this episode, number 273 of This Week in Photo, there's a new voice in the crowd. First, a couple of our historic voices. Steve Simon and Nicole Young are in the crowd. Hey, guys.
1: Hey. Hi, guys. Hey.
0: And then also <laughs> from, uh, from the Lytro headquarters, Mr. Eric Chang's here to uh, talk to us. Uh, I guess you're in Photokina right now, Eric.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. I got to Germany yesterday.
0: That's crazy. And you don't sound jet-lagged at all. No.
2: <laughs> well, it is three in the morning.
0: Three, <laughs> see, that's some dedication right there. Three in the morning <laughs> oh to God. record TWiP with us. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, but
2: Eric's yeah. going to be doing
0: the show in German. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's
2: right. Remember this, Fred. Remember
0: this. <laughs> Slowly. It'll be a slow gradient into German at the end of the show. You'll be a full-on German. <laughs> Oh, cool. Well, it's good to have you guys. There's a a ton of stuff to talk about today. We're going to be talking about um, the uh, new full-frame bodies coming out of Nikon and Canon, the D600 and the 6D. We're going to chat about the implications of the Google acquisition. Google acquired Nick software, which includes Snapseed. Um, We're going to talk about Sekonic and their new touchscreen light meter. Specifically, I want to find out if you guys are using light meters. And then Sigma added USB, they re- reorganized their lens lineup and added USB connectors to their lenses. So we're going to talk about that and what that might mean and all that cool stuff. So really, really interesting stuff to talk about. So first off, Eric, you, uh, I'm going to let you go first. So you're in Germany. What, what have you been up to over the last couple of weeks? I know you were at a conference like a week ago. Now you're in Germany and now, then you're going to be scuba diving. So what's going on?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been a little bit busy, uh, but it's been fantastic. Uh, last week, I was in New York for Photo Shelter's Luminance Conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the the first of its kind, their first attempt at doing a conference, and um, it was kind of cool. It was like it was sort of like a, a mini TED of photography. Mm-hmm. It was a diverse, a really diverse set of speakers for two days, along with a day of workshops, and um, all of those. Uh, those talks are going to be online eventually, so I, I highly recommend checking it out. It was super inspiring to sit and see, you know, portrait photographers, and um, I, I don't know. I just I'm, I was totally overwhelmed sitting in the audience. And um, anyway, super inspiring. And those videos will be online, and it's at photoshelter.com/slash luminance. So you said they, they were um, TED-like
0: like talks. So they were they like limited to fifteen minutes, or or did they break that yeah, that they were, sort of convention?
2: No, they were they were twenty minute talks okay. and uh, with Q and A after, and I fully expect some sort of cool jingle to start it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, just like Ted does. Um, it, it, was, it was great, and I and I hope they they continue that conference. And uh, anyone who's interested should uh, after seeing these um, talks should write to them and encourage them to do it again.
0: Okay, and and so you're in Photokina now. You just got there yesterday. You're not in Photokina as if that is a city, but you're at you're in Germany for, in Cologne. Is it Cologne where it is? Cologne, yeah. Okay, uh-huh. so you're I in think... you're in Cologne for the Photokina conference. What are you expecting to see? And are, are you talking there? Are you speaking there as well?
2: Yeah, I have uh, three litro talks, uh, one each day for the next three days, um, and we're running a few photo walks. So this is the first uh, first time we've we've been in Europe with a camera. So um, it's going to be uh, crazy, I think, on the floor. you know, If we take that camera out <laughs> at Photokina, yeah. uh, we're going get, to get mobbed. Um, but that's pretty much all we're doing here. We're giving talks. We don't have a booth. Um, you know. We're going to, of course, wander around uh, the floor and, and check out all the new goodies.
0: Lovely. Cool. And then I know we went backwards, but just for the folks that may not be familiar with who you are, Eric, just a quick couple sentences of the, uh, things that you're involved with, with both Lytro and the magazine and, you know, underwater stuff.
2: Sure. So I'm, uh, I'm director of photography at Lytro. So I, I sort of sit between photographers and the photography industry, uh, and, and the company. So, um, you know, I'm bringing domain expertise into the company, but also, uh, working with people who are actually out there shooting and, you know, bringing that feedback, uh, into the company and trying to make it, uh, uh productive inside. Yeah. Um, and um, I also am an underwater photographer. I shot professionally underwater for about 10 years. I should say I'm still shooting. It's, it's hard not to use past tense because I'm in a full-time job now. <laughs> um, so I'm in the water a lot less. Uh, but that, that's sort of where my passion is in terms of um, photography in the field. Uh, and I also publish wetpixel.com, uh, which is a community website for underwater photographers. So if you're interested in going underwater... Um, with a camera, it's a really great place to get information and meet people.
0: Very cool. Very cool. And you and I, you graciously invited me into your, your swank lair in San Francisco. <laughs> like, it was like uh, Iron Man over there. So, uh, And we did an interview, a video interview, which I will have up on This Week in Photo hopefully within the next day or so. So it's, uh yeah, it's very interesting. We had a great conversation about all things underwater photography and showed some of the cool... It has to, we can't put it in the show because we showed so many images, so it's it, it actually works better in video. So also, you heard his voice earlier on the show is Mr. Steve Simon. Steve is finally back on the show after steve you like you you are the submarine you're the you're the the nuclear submarine of this week in photo every now and then you surface and periscope up and then you go away again
1: <laughs> well i think you know eric's more the submarine because he's he's on the water <laughs> but uh, but no i've been uh, i've been traveling a lot uh, lately i was uh how
0: dare I you think... actually work as a photographer and not participate <laughs> in the show?
1: i apologize i apologize <laughs> but no i had a, a very interesting assignment uh, for those in in the united states i I got to cover both the Republican and the Democratic uh, National Conventions. So, you know, for a week I was sort of brainwashed red, and then I was turned blue the following week at the the <laughs> DNC. So it was it was really kind so of so now you're just purple, right? <laughs> I, I heard the the bull on both sides. So now I'm really confused. But uh, yeah, if people want to see uh, what I did at those conventions, they can go to my my revamped website, which is being revamped as we speak. Steve, and you've been saying that for two years. I know three I have. Years. But this time, I mean it. I really mean it. <laughs> SteveSimonPhoto.com. dot com. It's going to be different.
0: Uh, is it? By the time so the if people go there, up. this show's going to go live Friday. If people go there Friday, will they see a brand yeah. new Steve Simon photo?
1: Th- this friday
0: yeah this yes friday. yes 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 this friday all right 20,
1: 2012 right yes 20, it'll, 2012 it'll, all it'll, right it'll so twip
0: listeners on mass hit steve simon's site at stevesimonphoto.com this friday when you get this episode and leave him feedback on how you like the site so please do yeah it's
1: totally new uh check it out i think after you've seen it uh food will taste better and uh you may be able to play the piano
0: Steve, you took uh, you took longer to develop that site than I think Apple took to create the iPhone five. <laughs> so yeah, it better I be I've... it better be in that caliber. So, oh uh, well, uh, I I doubt it'll be
1: in that caliber. <laughs> but uh, no, it's just a long time coming. But I'm finally getting around to to
0: getting things done. So awesome. Well, welcome welcome back to the show. It's good to hear your voice on again. Good to be back. And also joining us to round out the panel here is Miss Nicole S. Young, also known as Nicole Z. Hey, Nicole.
3: Hey Frederick. Hey everyone.
0: You were on last week and we had a great conversation and I'm lucky enough to get you on two weeks in a row, so thank you for making the time again. What are what are you up to that you weren't up to last week?
3: Um well yeah, not much has changed, I guess, in the last week, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm still writing a book. Um I I might actually I just found out today I might have some travel coming up next month. Um not, I'm I'm going to Cambodia in November, but I might actually have something before that. I can't really talk about it yet. Until it's like finalized. How but dare
0: you tease us and then not tell us what it's about? <laughs> Nicole,
3: it's it's just us. It's
0: just come on. Us. No one no, no. will Just let it out. Come on, tell us. You know you want to tell us. <laughs>
3: okay. But I will as okay. soon as it's official. If it happens, then it will definitely be something that will okay. be talked about.
1: So okay. I All hope right. it happens during the show.
0: <laughs> well, it's cool. It's good. It's good to have you. I always love your perspective on this stuff. It is valuable. All right, guys, uh, let's jump into the news. Like I was saying at the beginning, there's a ton of stuff to talk about. First up, uh, just a reminder, as we were talking about with Eric, Photokina is currently taking place in Cologne, uh, Germany, which means it's been huge this week in terms of photography news. There's a ton of stuff going on. The first thing that I want to talk about is the is Nikon. So Nikon and Canon, actually. Nikon announced the D600, which Steve is going to tell us about, hopefully, because Steve knows Steve knew about the D six hundred back in nineteen seventy-two. And, <laughs> and then and then uh we're also gonna talk about Canon and their announcement of the six D. So it's like you know, rock'em sock'em robots here. So Steve, let's start with that D six hundred. So it's a new entry-level full frame body with the twenty-four point three I don't have all this committed to memory, I'm actually reading it from the Google Doc. Twenty-four point three megapixel sensor. It's got a, a, a wireless dongle. It's optional for 60 bucks, so you can remote control it from your smartphone. The ISO range is 100 to 6400 expandable to 50 to twenty-five-six. It's going to be available this week, hopefully, for $2,100. And the thing that I want to talk about is the thing I read about on David Hobby, the AKA Strobus website. He was talking about their curious omission of a... Uh, a sync port so you can't do any off camera <laughs> flash with this thing. So, Steve, yeah. should I run out and buy my <laughs> D600 right now instead of a D800?
1: Well, you know, the D600 and the D800, I mean, they they are different animals. I mean, they're both great cameras, and the fact is that uh when I got my hands on a D600 because I was lucky enough to to work on the campaign for Nikon, so I got uh, early versions of it. Oh, you know, cool. they were upgrading it all all the, you know, all the time uh when I was working with it. But um, you know, when I when I got it, uh the only other 24 megapixel camera in the Nikon lineup was uh the the d um d3x which was like an eight thousand dollar camera right so i was pretty amazed that this little full frame camera you know with you know they they kind of they bill it as uh i think it's um you know shoot big travel light and that's exactly what it is it gives you all these sort of fx uh bouquet when you're shooting wide open um I found that the ISO range was, was quite amazing, and it, it kind of reminded me more like a, a D7000 than sort of the D800 would be because the, the focus system is 39 points versus 51 points. I mean, it is not, you know, the D800 and the D600 are, are different cameras. They're, they're priced about a 1000 bucks apart, um, and, uh, you know, so they're made for kind of different people. Yeah. I think I think people have to pick it up and and decide for themselves, you know, which one is going to going to satisfy them. But, you know, it was amazing uh, the quality of the imagery with that 24 megapixel um full frame sensor uh was was to me, you know, quite astounding. I the the only hard part about doing this job was uh the the hush to secrecy because of course you've got to be very careful not to talk about this. I didn't even talk about it to To my wife Or even to myself So Your inner
0: monologue Was not talking to you (laughs) Exactly I
1: wasn't allowed In case You know Somebody was monitoring But no It was It it was a beautiful camera I have the results Posted uh, On my website And you know You'll see stuff All around uh, The web on it But um, uh, Wait Hang on
0: Hang on Steve A second For some reason The connection To Eric in Germany Crapped out So I'm going to Bring him back in now Let's see Hang on You gotta love Skype Eric... Yes, hey. Okay. Yeah. You know, I think I think Skype terminated your connection because we were having a different conversation. It assumed that you had left, so it just terminated. <laughs> you, know, said, you know what? I'm gonna save some bandwidth on this guy. Let's just drop him out of the conversation. Yeah. No, so I yeah. find
1: that Skype gets bored when I start
0: talking and that people just kinda of drop people off. Start start leaving the room. Okay. Exactly. Well sorry about that. So continue. Go ahead, Steve. So you were talking so about the D six hundred. So the big the, so are where does it is it more if you if you place it between a D7000 and a D800 is it more D800ish um, because of the full frame or is it more D7000ish because of the fewer focus points and you know the other sort of things they took away
1: well, the D seven thousand is is a smaller bodied camera, and the D six hundred definitely resembles the D seven thousand. If you pick up a D seven thousand, pick up a D six hundred, it'll be a lot. Uh, more familiar to you in the sense that it uses a very similar focusing system. It's got the U1, U2 settings, which in my mind are an improvement over the bank settings that the D800 and the D4 have, um, and, and I, I, lo- I love that about it. Yeah. Uh, I noticed uh, you mentioned at the top about uh, David Hobby talking about the uh, the flash. Uh, yeah, space.
0: yeah, he was uh, he was pretty critical of the camera because of the well, for two reasons from the article because of the ISO. Or the sync speed They drop the sync speed of it And uh, so it only seeks It sinks at one two hundredth of a second And there's no flash Port, to so well, you can plug no, in third-party flashes. So,
1: I mean, that is true in, in terms of the body itself, but you know, an easy accessory on the hot shoe, and that problem is now eliminated. It's a very inexpensive uh, Nikon accessory that gives you that port that uh, he was talking about, okay. and and as well, um, you can use it uh, with Nikon flashes uh, at. Um, all shutter speeds uh, for for high speed sync. So, but yes, the the shutter speed is maybe fiftieth of the less. I I personally, of course, he's the strobist, so he's going to be extremely sensitive to that, and he's in a sense he's a sensitive guy anyway.
0: Yeah, but, but but still, I mean, in you know, in David Hobby's defense, looking at this camera, it's a twenty, it's a you know, what is it twenty one hundred dollar camera, it and, and it, but with no flash sync port on it. Well, I mean, how much can it be to add a flash sync port to it?
1: Well, you know, I don't even think it's so much about But my uh, D7000 cost. doesn't
0: have one either. So.
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's about cost. I really think it's about the size of the camera and a decision, um, you know, to what you're going to incorporate in, in the camera that, that makes sense for it. Yeah. Uh, as mentioned, you know, you can add that. But, you know, if, it, if it's something that, you know, is a deal break, breaker for you, you know, so be it. But I think it's a little bit... Uh, dramatic in terms of uh, practical usage because it's easy to use yeah. uh, in the studio as well. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting because it's. It's. I was. You know, we weren't sure what it was going to cost. It. It's not cheap, no question. There was rumors that it would be less than what it is, but for an FX body DSLR, I think it. It is. Um, I, don't know, I, I don't know much about the Canon, but I, I'm assuming they're both going to be uh, around the same price.
0: Yeah. So should, pho- should, should photographers be looking at this camera? Instead of a D7000, and they should just jump to this one now, or should they yeah. save up for a couple of more years and get the <laughs> D800? <laughs> Listen, I mean,
1: you can always. Uh, I think you should wait for the D, you know, seventeen thousand. But no, you 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 need to decide what you you want to do now. Obviously, a D seven thousand is an amazing camera. It's a DX camera, and it's about half the price mm-hmm. of a D six hundred. But mm-hmm. if you want to get into the FX format, and you know, there are advantages in you know for DX in terms of long lens reach, uh, and and a lot of photographers I know that have two bodies will have an FX and uh, a DX for. For further away uh, sports and wildlife work but uh, no it's a it's a great camera it's a great way to get into f x it kind of is the sweet spot in terms of f x between the the D800 and the D4, I guess, which is 16 megapixel, had 24 megapixels. Because I know a lot of people were sort of saying, oh, we want more megapixels. And then Nikon surprised everyone with the 36 me- megapixel, almost medium format D800. And then there was a little bit of a, a backlash against it. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's- much. We can't have that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's really like yeah. people looking at, you go to a steakhouse and order a big steak, and you're like, wait a minute, I didn't ask for half a cow, you know. Exactly. I exactly. <laughs> can't eat all that. <laughs>
1: you know, The fact is, if you're a, a D800 user, you could you you know shoot you can shoot raw, and you can shoot medium JPEG, which gives you a, you know, a, I think it's a 20 megapixel file, yeah. which is great. But this is, is really something, because at 24 megapixel, full frame, you get all the bouquet, you get a chance to crop without real consequence, because you have all that resolution there the autofocus is really really fast and uh, you know it's
0: going to be very popular so you still didn't answer my questions though steve so should if someone has money so seriously if they have if they're looking at the d7000 should they jump to the d600 instead of the d7000 and just fork up the what is the extra grand or eight hundred dollars or whatever
1: but, you know, again, I, you really can't answer that question. It's, it's, it's double the price, so yeah. you have to decide whether or not. That's another month of waiting. You know? Exactly. The FX, if the FX format, I think it's definitely for more serious photographers, not only for the money uh, investment, but also getting into the FX if right. you previously haven't you do need fx lenses although dx lenses will work on it at a reduced megapixel or you can choose to shoot at fx full frame and you'll get some uh, vignetting depending on what lens you choose but even with wide angle dx lenses you it still fills up much of the frame but uh we'll we'll wait and see i think it's going to be a a pivotal camera for for
0: now before we move on to the canon 6d um yeah, vignetting. Before we move on to the 6D, Nicole, I want to chat with you about that. I'm going to bring. We dropped Eric again for some reason. Skype is not a fan of his, so we're going to bring him back in. Uh, but uh, the last thing on the D600, Steve, are, did you have you written anything up or done any reviews of the D600 on your site or on Nikon's site yet?
1: Actually, on the Nikon Digital Learning Center, uh, which I provided a link uh, in the show notes, um, there is a little bit of a review that I did, and I posted some pictures, and people are are commenting. It's the Nikon sponsored um, uh, Flickr site, so you can see something there. Okay, and I I hope to have something up on my blog when by Friday.
0: By Friday, right? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nicole. Uh, so let me let me bring Eric back in real quick. Let's see where is Eric. Eric is missing. So before, while I'm hunting for Eric in my Skype list here, oh, there he is. There he is. I hope we can
3: get him back in here because I'm assuming if he hasn't yet, he'll get to actually get a hands-on with this.
2: I know
0: because he's in he's in Eric, are you there? Yes, I am. All right, cool. All right, so Steve just finished up uh, telling us how horrible the D600 is. (laughs) So we're the we perfect timing. We're transitioning into the 6D. So you obviously haven't had a chance to see it yet. Well, you probably will tomorrow if you wake up. You know, after staying up all night for Twip. But have you read the specs on the 6D yet?
2: I have, and a lot of my friends are already asking me whether they should buy it.
0: Yeah, should they? Well,
2: I I think some of the questions I'm getting are are um, more complicated because you know they're mostly from friends who think they want full frame, but they're not sure why. Right. Um, and I I think that's really common and you know, if you're like if you're a photographer that has a bunch of old lenses that are in the you know, you have like a twenty eight to seventy or a twenty four to seventy and you've just been waiting for full frame but couldn't afford or didn't want to buy, you know, you know, a thirty five hundred dollar camera, like this is it. You should this is the perfect way in. Um, well, let's but but wanted- before you can
0: before you continue, let's just run down the specs real quick so people get an idea of what this thing is. So, it's their entry level. It's a new entry level full frame body with a twenty point two megapixel CMOS sensor. It's got their DIGIC five processor um, and shoots at four point five frames per second. It's got an eleven point autofocus system built in. It's got GPS and built in y- wireless with an Android and iOS app to control the app or control the camera and transfer files. It only has a single SD card slot, no headphone jack, so probably not for you know the serious video people out there. It's twenty percent lighter and fourteen hundred dollars less than the five D Mark III, and it'll be available this December. So, uh, okay, so now that we have that under our belt what would make people want to move to other than the price, right? It's $1,400. So other than the price, what would make people want to move to this guy other than just saying, Hey, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to save up the extra 1500 bucks and go get the 5d mark three.
2: Uh, well, the things in the spec that got my attention were that it's smaller and lighter. Yeah. And that it has GPS built in, which, you know, would be great for people who want that. I want that and I haven't been able to do it in a convenient way. Um, I love that Canon is is streamlining the interface, you know, all these buttons on the left side running up. Those mm-hmm. have annoyed me for years. And I mean, I, I don't want a rate button, you know, and I don't want a picture style button. I mean, anyone who has a 5D Mark III, I mean, I, I don't know anyone who uses picture styles on it. Uh, maybe people use it, but it just seems funny that there's this button there that I stare at all the time. <laughs> it's just taking up and, space, right? Yeah. It's, it's like that, remember they had the print button before, you know? Yeah. It's, it's the <laughs> same thing. Um, you know, I, the twenty versus twenty-two megapixel doesn't seem like it'll make too much of a difference, um, and of course, focus. If you're if you're an action photographer, or um, uh, you'll you'll want the better autofocus system uh, in the five D Mark III, um, and the frame rate. Um, but I, I'm super excited about it. I, I think it's it's great that there's a a full frame camera, you know, coming down to close to two thousand dollars.
0: Yeah. So, Nicole? Who do you, who do you think? Canon is looking at when they when they had that picture you know thumbtacked to the wall the target market for this particular camera who are they thinking of is it the you know the mom that's going out to take pictures of their kid at soccer practice or is this for serious you know photographers that that just don't have a lot of money to spend on their hobby or who's it for
3: well I think I have, you know I think that anyone could um, benefit from this camera I think it's great that it's a very inexpensive full frame body you know I mean it's obviously not cheap but. Uh, if you want a full frame, you know you have to go either with a used five D Mark II if you want to go under two thousand dollars, or an older camera, or a five D Mark III or above. You know, and those that, those are going to get uh, you know in, up into thirty five hundred dollars. So when you get in those other ones, yeah. So um, so this is you know like the kind of photography that I do for the most m- most part, where you know food photography or stock photography or whatever, I would. Be fine with the Canon sixty. You know, I don't need um, the crazy autofocus and and the really tight body.
0: Because you're uh, a manual anyway, right? When you're crazy, doing that stuff,
3: manual. But I mean, that's not the only type of photography I do. You know, I do uh, when I travel. You know, I want I want to have uh, like my Mark three is going to be perfect when I travel because it's going to have that range of better autofocus and um, I, my you know I'm not going to have to worry about that the actual the body of the camera you know because it's built tougher and sealed better. Uh, whereas the 60, I believe, is probably a plastic body. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, but there are some things in this that I, I am really intrigued by: the um, I, the GPS and the built-in wireless. And it's it's kind of a feature. It's kind of a fun feature to have. What's
0: that going to give me? Because I'm not, I'm confused about that. So what what is the, the I know I understand the GPS which, which is built in, which will GPS it GPS or will tag the files in the EXIF with GPS coordinates. But what's what am I going to do with the Wi-Fi? Is that so I can shoot and and activate the camera and change settings from my Android or iOS phone?
3: That's that's what it I mean, that's what it sounds like they've you know, like especially in the show it's notes. It's like a here.
0: wireless shutter release, right?
3: Yeah, I, that's I mean, that's my understanding of it. Um I hope that it also works to connect to your computer. Yeah. I don't know if it does that or not. Like if you can tether wirelessly through the camera and I, I haven't read the whole long, boring canon description of the I wanna you know, be
0: able to shoot if I if I wanted to, I want to be able to shoot from the camera and have the images show up on my iPad. So I can hand the iPad to someone while I shoot and and so sure do that do tethered that. thing, you know,
3: that sounds, yeah, that sounds like it's the intent for with having Android and iOS apps. It says, you know, Android and iOS apps to control the camera and transfer files. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like that's exactly what it's for. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of neat for people who work in an environment where they have wireless or wifi, you know, like I could do stuff in my, my apartment, I could do food photography. I'm not very far from my computer, but sometimes it's annoying to have that cord connected all the way from my computer, you know, to the camera, I trip over it. <laughs> so, right. um, so it's kind of a fun thing to have, but yeah, it's, it's for those people who, you know, they want to go full frame, but it's just too much of an investment to get up there. And maybe they don't want to buy a used camera or they don't want to buy an older model.
0: Now, Eric, Eric, on, on your side, when you, when you put on your, you know, your, your scuba diving outfit and you're, you're going underwater, do this, do you think the 6d would be a viable camera to take down with you or is it just too limited?
2: Oh, I, I don't think it's too limited. I mean, we, we shoot manual all the time, and we're using uh, strobes uh, that can't typically cycle at these fast frame rates anyway. Um, and a lot of the wide angle shooting we do we do is is fixed focus using uh, fisheye lenses. And so we we shoot strict pretty much manual underwater. So I think this is. It sounds like the perfect camera for underwater shooting, except um, that the the streamlined interface with that that eight way pad inside the, inside the rear dial. Uh, worries me because i think it will complicate underwater housings right so we'll see what the manufacturers do with that if they can make that that uh, streamlined interface really useful in a housing and still ergonomic you know having all those buttons on the left side as annoying as it is on land is really fantastic for underwater housings because you know they're in the perfect place for you to reach with your thumb when you're holding the handles of a housing
0: um, That's interesting. So, I mean, if when you know, after you and I did that interview, and you, you were showing me, sort of, you know, we talked about the Iron Man suit that was housing your camera. You know, <laughs> it, it. I was thinking, you know, as po- I, mean, I know, the underwater photography is is enjoyed by a select few because of you know, there's certain limitations, cost wise, danger, and, and you know, being able to actually get down there and keep your wits about you while you're doing photography down there. But it just seems to me that doing Having controls on the camera that are that are just sort of mechanically actuated, it seems like it, it seems very rudimentary, and it seems like there'd be some sort of port built into the camera that you could tap these housings into that would allow you to control them. You know, you know what I mean, Eric? I mean, you know, instead of being like a physical, this switch activates that button there 'd be a, a connector in there that you 'd connect the housing to that would then do an electronic interface to the buttons on the outside. Is there anything like that available?
2: Yeah, there have been some uh, housing manufacturers who have uh, used the USB control and you know either reverse engineered it or mm. or built it off of you know what uh, off of whatever APIs are available um, typically they 've been a huge amount of work to engineer and it 's such you know we work in such low quantities here. That um, it, it just hasn't been that successful. I mean, in theory, you could have a housing that'll work with a bunch of different cameras because you're, you know, you have a USB interface. But I just haven't seen it succeed yet. Um, and it, you know, it seems like people end up using mechanical controls. The other thing is, you know, the more electronics you have underwater, the less likely your gear will work because um, oh, right. yes. salt water, you know, salt water is like acid to electronics. So if you get a tiny little leak and it hits, you know, whatever electronics are in the, the housing itself, I mean, they, these bodies are typically pretty well sealed these days so they can deal with some moisture and a little bit of water. But, you know, if you have more electronics you have to protect it, it, you know, maybe that's part of the reason people haven't been trying it that much.
0: All right. So last question on this, this particular topic here on the Nikon D600 side and the Canon 6D side, um, Steve, are you gonna? do you have a D600 ordered? And Eric and Nicole, are you buying a 6D?
1: Well, I guess I, I'm, you know, obviously uh, I'm an icon guy. I've I worked with this camera on their campaign. So, yes, I've got one ordered. Yes, I do have one ordered. I think it's a perfect walk-around camera for me. I, I used it with a 2485, which is their kit lens, and I also get to, to play with that. Super sharp lens, really... Uh, small and uh, you know fast focusing so it for me it was like the perfect combination if i 'm going to walk around in the city if i 'm going to commit to taking a, a camera that 's bigger than a a little nikon one um you know that'll be the one that i carry because there's really nothing i can't do and it's uh you know small and light and but the the
0: ultimate question would be so the d600 like in in one of your books and you're in africa you know and in, in those those sort of harsh conditions would the d600 be a camera that you'd be comfortable with taking over there
1: Oh, absolutely, I would, I would. But you know, when I'm traveling in those circumstances, I likely have you know minimum two, probably three bodies. So, right, right. So absolutely, but I, you know, I would never only have one body, regardless of what it was.
0: All right. Uh, well, Eric, you said the six D might be the ideal underwater camera. Do you are you going to order one when they're available? Well, uh, the
2: problem is I have a five D Mark III and an underwater housing for it. Yeah. So right. you know if I get you know I, I will have two five D Mark Threes, one as a backup, uh, and you know that that'll prevent me from from getting a sixty. Um, but I I've been recommending it. I think it's 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 a great way to go to full frame. And um, and what I've been trying to do is is uh, educate my friends who are interested in... They're basically, they're taking pictures of their kids, and you know, they, want them, they want great shots of their kids running around. And so you know, they have to realize that they're going to get a shallower depth of field with this camera, typically at the same yeah. you know, working distances. Um, so there are some things to think about. You know The, the full-frame upgrade from APS-C is something that you have to consider outside of whether the body itself is great.
0: Right, right. Nicole, what about you? Are we going to see a Peach Pit book out of you on the 6D?
3: You never know. <laughs> <laughs> I just put my name down on a camera with picture line, and um, I might just end up replacing it with my 5D Mark II because I have a 5D Mark III. But I already I have three cameras, you know. So every time I get a new one, I usually just have to sell. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's <laughs> like happen. a it's like a conveyor belt, right? One yeah. one goes away. Yeah, hey guys, you know I wanted to ask all of you guys: do you do you think this is so? Ron Breakman and I have, have this like multiple year going sort of uh bet that on my side i say the crop sensor sort of form factor or, or dslrs are going away and going to be replaced by full frame eventually and crop sensors will be a thing of the past even though i just bought one in my d7000 but <laughs> with these cameras the 60 and the d600 does this signal that does this signal the end of the crop frame sensor well i 'll go first
1: i, I don 't think so because you know again the entry level camera it 's still over two thousand dollars so i mean you 've got d thirty two hundred i think is about seven hundred bucks that's that 's twenty four megapixels dx uh, lens mm-hmm. or sorry dx lenses so I, I think it'll be a i, I don 't think so I, I kind of hope not you know it 's nice to have uh, the dx for for reach because although the sensor is smaller, you still have the same number of megapixels so it's a it's a real uh boost to you know sports and wildlife people um, so so you
0: you vote you vote no steve votes the the the, uh, dx sensor is going to stick around for a while what about you guys nicole what about you
3: i'm with steve i mean you know i just actually pulled up the canon 60d page on amazon and it's 865 dollars you know that somebody who wants a camera, but they can't spend over a thousand dollars, they're not going to save up their money and spend $2,000. They're just going to be like, well, what's my options? You know, what are my Mm -hmm. options? So Canon's going to price things and create things for, for all ranges. You know, it's just like the point and shoot industry. There are so many different point and shoots. I think the same thing is going to happen with SLRs. We're going to have a lot of different options. It's just going to grow.
0: Got it. Got it. Eric, what about you? Where where do you fall on this? And don't be, don't be like influenced by Steve or Nicole. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, uh,
2: I, yeah I'm a little less optimistic about aps c sticking around because i I think the sensor and electronics cost for larger larger format sensors like full frame are only coming down and at some point the percentage cost of the sensor you know will be much lower than than it needs to be right like right now it's a very large percentage of the cost but if it gets down and it's you know it's a twenty dollar difference or thirty dollar difference then you know, why not stick a full frame sensor in it mm-hmm. you know the most of the camera cost will be in the rest of the camera so you know i also see i also see mirrorless and small other formats kind of eating at slrs from the other side from the low end yep. um, and and you know the way i shoot I, I found that i want a big slr with big lenses and then i want something small and these kind of in, these intermediate formats feel very transient to me they, they confuse me you know the nex i love that camera but I actually don't use it because i either want a point and shoot or i'm working and i want a big camera so you know i people tend to go towards these big cameras and small cameras and everything in between right now it seems like a compromise. You know, you can't everything afford in between is going
0: to the smartphone. Right? <laughs> <So> that's, <laughs> right, that's, <laughs> exactly. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but
1: just just to say one last word on this, sure. uh, you know, the Nikon one one of the complaints was it had this you know very small sensor compared to to DX and of course to FX. Yet the advantage of that when you put on a 300 millimeter lens with the adapter, it becomes an 827 millimeter you know f4 lens, and the quality, even though the sensor was Small um, was was really quite amazing. So you know there are advantages too to having a small sensor, and the same goes when you're doing macro work. When you do macro work, having a small sensor allows you to get even closer.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, choices. We still have choices. And speaking of choices, um, we we have one less independent company in the, <laughs> in the photography space. Google has acquired Nick Software. Um, you guys know them. You may know them from some of the software that they've created, called like one of the plugins called Silver Effects Pro, um, the iOS app called SnapSpeed. So Google bought them a couple days ago, or has announced that they were uh, either intending on buying them or had completed a purchase. I'm not sure where it sits. But from this crew, I want to I want to find out what you guys think. Was Google's motivation, and how will this manifest in, say, Google Plus or elsewhere in the Google network? Nicole, let's start with you. So, you know, clearly the weighting of participants in Google Plus is very heavy on the photographer side. Do you think this uh, acquisition of Nick Software is just going to see a, see more tools on the on sort of the capabilities within Google Plus for photographers evolve?
3: Yeah, I think so. You know, I think that Google is very aware of the photographer's presence on Google Plus and I think this is one of the ways to kind of leverage that. Mm-hmm. And you know, Facebook bought Instagram, so maybe there was a an incentive for Google to find And who knows? I mean, we don't even know how long this could have, this could have been in the talks for a really long time. You know, yeah. it could have been a last minute two month deal. Who knows? But, you know, they Maybe they're just trying to balance things out with uh, Facebook because, you know, I think all of us are in agreement that we see Facebook and Google Plus are kind of main competitors to each other yeah. when it comes to social media. So maybe they're, you know, I, but I, I don't think that we've, I haven't seen anything integrated with fa- Facebook and Instagram, you know, so I don't know, maybe they're trying to.
0: Yeah, not yet. Yeah, I think they're trying to work on that stock price or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So, Eric, uh, from your side, you know. So, we know that you know. A while ago, Google acquired Picnic, which was powering Yahoo Photos, and they're sort of on in-browser photo editing. So, Google acquired them. Yahoo dropped them and partnered with Aviary instead. And so that was that split. And now Google is bringing in Nick software. Are we going to see Nick software sort of? sort of hybrid in and mixed in with Picnic and then incorporated into Google Plus to make a Photoshop online that we can can use as photographers?
2: I I hope so. Uh, I think, you know, we're watching everything move to the cloud and editing is something that that hasn't really moved there yet in, in a serious way. And, and it seems, it seems totally natural. I, this reminds me of, remember like in the, I think in the late nineties, there were all these, everyone needed a calendar app on the web. Remember that? <laughs> they weren't called apps, but you, you know, so like Yahoo bought one, everyone just bought one because they felt like they needed it. And now calendars are just, they just live in the cloud, you know, and they mm-hmm. kind of sync everywhere. And it's, it reminds me of that a lot. And so, you know, I would expect to see, um, you know, see editing in Google plus and, and, Picasso and um, kind of using the, the sh- shared infrastructure.
0: Love it. Yeah. So, Steve, we see, I mean, we've got Photoshop.com, which has that cloud infrastructure, Aviary, like I mentioned, Picnic, these services that you upload and then do, you know, editing, photo editing, cropping, uh, color correction, that kind of thing, adding effects, kind of like Instagram in the mm-hmm. cloud. Is this the future? I mean, are we going to see Lightroom and those sorts of softwares go away and sort of be replaced by this? At least on the consumer side. Like, say, Photoshop Elements would disappear yeah. and become a cloud-based solution. yeah. yeah.
1: You know, it's hard. I mean, as a, as a professional photographer, I like to sort of have everything kind of with me. I, I want to take advantage of the cloud, but I also want to make sure that I have, you know, you know copies of it, you know, in my own uh, domain and in my own presence and backed up and so on. But, you know, it's really impossible to predict. And I, I think maybe even, you know, I, I'm sure there are many, many other uh, better people to predict, but it, it's hard to even imagine like, you know, two years down the line, exactly what things are going to be. Yeah, I have totally. to admit when Google buys stuff, I mean, why doesn't just Google buy everything? Because they probably can't.
0: <laughs> you know, well, it's this just by the federal government. It, you know, be yeah, done with it. <laughs> I mean,
1: it, it sort of scares me in the sense that, you know, the concentration of power – but at the same time, um, you know, things are moving forward and, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's likely things are going to be very different, you know, two years from now. I mean, it, we're, we're, you know, I was going to say, I have often said we're in a golden era of photography, but that doesn't even cover it. I don't think platinum covers it. Um, I don't know. What's better than platinum? <laughs> because We're in a chocolate pudding era of photography. And, you know, That's it's much ne- better than platinum, Steve. Thank there's you. never <laughs> been a better time to be a photographer. I mean, it's with all the stuff that we've got but um you know we really shouldn't be complaining.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. There's just so much cool stuff. If you were to shut your computer off today and and just play with the stuff that you have, there's no way you could even get halfway through the capabilities that you have, you know, yet they keep you know, it's like Hansel and Gretel, right? You just keep bringing candy in. And, <laughs> <it's just, laughs> and that's
1: you know that's a, a great reminder just to remember that, you know, even the first cameras, it's still kind of a light-proof box with a hole in it and, you know, shutters bees and apertures. They're the things that are going to profoundly affect the way your images are going to look, although Eric with his Lytro, you know, has more depth of field than any of us. That's right. But, uh, you know, it, it, the, the basic the Eric has computational
0: things- <laughs> depth of field, so it's not fair.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's… <laughs> You know the the basic uh, elements of photography uh, haven 't necessarily changed so it's it 's really about the pictures which we we sometimes forget
0: yeah yeah very well put very well put i 'm a, I'm a firm believer in that so uh, the next story I want to chat about with you guys is uh, Saic, so they launched the first touchscreen light meter, hmm, so for those of you in the audience that don't know what a light meter is, it's a device that, <laughs> <laughs> it's a device that you hold yeah. in your hand that you can measure light with and get your exposure. Okay. So, Eric, when was the last time that you've used a light meter in your, in your daily work?
2: I just looked at my light meter uh, the other day because I'm, I'm packing up for a move. Yeah. And I just thought... Man, why do I even? I, I want to keep it because I I like the idea of have having it a light meter. <laughs> you can have it bronze. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can have it bronze. I mean, I, I use it when I set up studio lights, and, yeah. and I use it because I feel like I should. But I'm actually not sure because then when I end up taking pictures um, with you know digital SLR, I'm always just looking at the picture and then making adjustments on the fly. Right. right. So I I I don't know. I'm I'm not so into light meters these days. And you know, you, this could be. I mean, some people are totally dependent on it, and you know, I'm sure having a touch or touch gives them the opportunity to make the interface fantastic. And hopefully they I I know,
0: I know a lot of photographers that, that swear by light meters and only real photographers use light meters and you must meter the highlights, meter the shadows and etc. exposure and then go from there. And then other photographers that would say, you know what, just, you know, get it close and adjust in the camera to get it right. And then, you know, do the rest in, in Photoshop. Nicole, when you're doing your food photography stuff, what's your flow? Do you have a light meter out there or are you just sort of, you know, relying on the uh, the histogram in the camera.
3: Oh, my food photography is a bad example because I do a lot of natural light, and mm-hmm. when I use strobes, it's always the same setting, like as low as it goes, pretty much. Um, but when I do people, and I'm photographing with studio lights, uh, with more than one light in particular, yeah, I I definitely use a light meter, and I mean they are they're extremely useful for uh, people who do use strobes, especially if you're doing portrait lighting and you're working off of ratios where you maybe want. Um, a fill light or a hair light and you want it a uh, half stop or a full stop over your main light to brighten it. You know, those are the reasons that you saw that math and stuff that you're going to want to use but it. But why wouldn't
0: you, devil's advocate, why wouldn't you just eyeball it in the camera, look at the histogram and say, oh, you know what, that, that light is, I want it that a little hotter and then adjust your exposure and take another shot.
3: You absolutely could. But it, when you know how to use a light meter, you're going to be like 500% faster than trying to figure it out in camera. Unless you have set up the same lights over and over and you know, you know and you're familiar with what settings you need them to be at to get a certain look but you know another another useful thing for light meters especially if you like to keep let's say your iso pretty low and you, you know if you're shooting in a studio you don't need to pump your iso really high for most occasions um using a light meter is a really good way to know if you have for some reason accidentally set something wrong on your camera um mm-hmm. you know if you pop that light and it says oh i'm supposed to be at one to 50th of a second at f11 you set your settings so that you take a picture and you are way overexposed something's wrong with your camera settings you know so then you kind of can kind of kick things in the butt before they actually you know you look at them on your computer and you're like why is that so noisy yeah so, yeah I guess it's just big starting
0: big point. point yeah yeah now steve what about you so you're like when you're on one of your indiana jones adventures and you're out you know shooting in unknown parts of the world like you're in dubai or something like are you are you I shooting would, with a light meter out I there
1: I would look so cool with this
0: light meter. You'd be like Flavor Flav with meter. the with medallion hanging down in the front, This right? thing
1: has got <laughs> like all the touch screens, it's got all the colors, you press all the buttons, it's got a lot of good things, um, you know, but I looked at the promotional video, I did get a bit of a headache because it does like too many things. I mean, it does, there's a lot of math and a lot of numbers and all that stuff, but from a practical standpoint, what's really cool about this light meter is it will, with pocket wizards, allow you to adjust in certain flashes, including the nikon and canon speed lights allow you to adjust the intensities and all that kind of stuff but um i mean you don't need one but when you see that touchscreen and all the cool things and you just imagine how good you look with it um you probably <laughs> want to get
0: one eric what about you when you're underwater there there's there's no such thing as an underwater light meter except within the camera right
2: well there used to be i mean during film days you only had 36 shots per dive right so you're gonna you, you know you don't want to waste a shot uh trying to figure out lighting and so you know people used them all the time then but but now i you know they just nobody uses them you use what's in your you know what's in the camera right. and and you use rgb histograms in underwater it's a little bit different because we pretty much look at the red channel you know for strobe i mean if, if you have red that means your strobes are working if you don't have red it means your strobes aren't working so it's very basic you you just look at the histograms you know, don't rely on the, the uh, LCD to, you know, get your exposures. Always use the histogram.
0: Well, explain that a little bit more. If you have red, then they're working. If they're, you don't have red, they're not working. Is that because of the, the water filtering out red, red wavelengths? <laughs> yeah, that's right.
2: So, you know, typically at depth, if you're down 20 meters or something, there's there's no red light. None. So if you take a picture without strobe, you're going to get lots of blue and some green. Lots of green, mm-hmm. and so um, you know that red. The strobes are our strobes are full spectrum, and they they just they bring in all the color that you see in a, you know in, in the underwater photography. It's super colorful down there, um, but you know there's no red light down there, no orange light, very little yellow light. Um, so we're highly histogram uh, dependent underwater, and and you know these light meters. I guess, I guess they tell you that now, right? I haven't used, uh, you know, my, my light meter is very much a manual one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's got <laughs> it's little, little analog dials and, and needles on there. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> I
1: think uh, those photographers that got more than 70% in high school math will love this, but <laughs> those that just squeak by like I did in math uh, probably are not. I mean, it does, you know, it, it makes sense. If you know how to use this stuff and you're in the studio a lot, yes, I'm sure it has. Uh, it's going to be fantastic, but... Is it absolutely necessary for a lot of photographers? You know, I don't, probably I don't not.
0: so. So. The, so the bottom line is if you're, if you're an advanced amateur and, you, and you're just sort of getting your feet wet, no pun intended, Eric, in photography, <laughs> too, you probably don't need a light meter. And if you want to dive in deeper and get more into the math and ratios like Nicole was talking about, then you can consider the Sekonic or something like it to get more detailed and more accurate with your photography. Is that yeah. fair?
1: I, I think you've got to be a math person, though. You know, photog- we're all <laughs> photographers, but some people are better at that than others. And those are the ones that will really take advantage of what this, these things can do because they're quite amazing what they
3: can do. Yeah. I, you know, I also think that if, if somebody does want to try light meter, let's say they are using a lot of strobes or, you know, <laughs> you know, bring, make, creating their own light light. Um, You don't need to get this light meter. I am very intrigued by it. I want to. I want one just because it's. It looks cool. It
0: looks (laughs) totally cool. I know.
3: (laughs) It looks really cool. And I. But I haven't. You know. I don't even. My light meter is packed away in a bag somewhere. I haven't used it in like over a year Mm -hmm. because I've been doing so much photography just you know with the natural light. But if somebody is interested in actually trying a light meter, you can find a really inexpensive one that is not going to, you know, it's not going to have all the bells and whistles, but it really all you need is you need it to tell you your um, you know, your aperture, shutter speed and ISO. That's and that's it. all you have yeah. to have. <laughs> so,
0: that's it. you know what? I was wondering as I was looking at I'm looking at the iconic page right now, I was thinking couldn't couldn't they have just made like a connector that goes on the iPhone or a uh, or Android that had the light sensor in there and put the software in the phones. <laughs> you
3: could I think that. there is some, that sounds familiar. I bet there is something like that, like an app and yeah. you just put like a thing over the, the camera flash or the camera.
0: Right. Right. Or not even, or even if you wanted to take get more accurate, something that plugs into the camera that, you know, with a light sensor on there, that'd be more accurate. And you then the math, it. all this, all of Steve's math lives in the actual phone. Yeah. Do it, Frederick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know all right, coming soon
3: <laughs> make make it so as quickly as steve 's website <laughs> make it make it
0: show number one okay. that 's right all right, uh, so also on the sigma side of things, they reorganized their lens lineup and added USB connectors, so let me tell you about how they reorganized their lenses, so they 've got. Uh, Three categories, the first one is contemporary So the latest in in technical and optical performance glass So that's the the cool stuff So they've got an art category, which includes large aperture, prime lenses, wide-angle lenses, and ultra-wide-angle lenses Plus macro lenses and fisheye lenses, and all those sorts of things Then they've got a sports category, lenses that are designed specifically for capturing motion and movement so my first qu- question to you guys there's one other thing so they added usb connectors to these lenses to allow you to uh adjust them you know in, instead of sending them in and all that sort of thing so does this break down steve throw it to you first does this breakdown make sense for lenses like when you go shopping for lenses <laughs> do you think well, contemporary art and sports <laughs>
1: um you know what i i do think though you know the landscape of lenses i mean all the manufacturers have so many lenses. It is very confusing. And the fact that they've broken it down into these three headings, I think, is a good thing. I mean, it sort of makes sense that, you know, the art lens would be the fast lens, which gives you that beautiful – if you buy a fast lens, you want to use it close to wide open to get that beautiful out-of-focus bouquet. And, you know, may, many people think that's an artistic uh, sensibility that you're going to use. So so I think it, for, for the mass market and for people that maybe aren't as engaged with photography as professionals and we are, Um, I think it's probably, it makes sense you know, it just simplifies the whole deal um, I think you could, you know, go to any lens manufacturer and sort of classify, you know, break it down in those terms, and it, it would it would make sense. I mean, contemporary, I'm not sure what that means, but definitely the sports and the and the art thing kind of make a bit of sense uh, to it. And, you know, the USB, and now, you know, Nikon and Canon have firmware upgrades to their lenses, or at least to the camera bodies that affect the lenses. So, you know, that's, that's interesting. I mean, that's just where we are now with computers. And, you know, I'm sure eventually human will evolve to have a usb outlet somewhere <laughs> maybe where our belly
0: buttons were i don't know hopefully or somewhere else hopefully yeah <laughs> if we're lucky they'll be where the belly buttons are. Yeah. so eric so are we going to see in the future and nikon add the ability to upgrade and adjust your lenses via usb uh
2: yeah so i i mean i think uh it, it makes sense to up, be able to update the firmware on these uh, lenses. Yeah. Um, I'm a little confused about kind of, uh, fo- you know, adjusting focus on a lens without the body being taken into account. Yeah. Because it seems like it'd be very, very much body dependent. So you'd want, you know, you'd want the focus to be adjusted when you attach the lens to a specific body, which the body's already allowed you to do. Um, you know, so maybe you can be much more precise about it this way. The, you know, this, the categorization thing seems, it seems like it, I, I don't know. I, I sort of see them as being more like keywords. You know, I can imagine a lens being great, both as a contemporary lens, whatever that means, and as a as an art lens, you know. But so I'm not actually sure how they've done it. But if they've shoehorned each lens into exactly one category, it seems like it could be confusing.
0: Yeah. Anytime you try to shoehorn art into a category, it seems like you're going to get into detail. yeah. They're all art lenses. Uh, they are <laughs> all art lenses. Thank you, Nicole. <laughs> does this does this categorization make sense to you? And what about the USB thing? You. Yeah, where, where do you fall on this whole thing? Well,
3: the categories, I don't understand the categories. I can't even talk. The categorization, um, I mean, yeah, it doesn't make sense to me because I don't know where I fit in. You know, like, where's my, would a food photography, would that be contemporary? Would mm-hmm. it be art? I don't use wide-angle lenses, though, but I use wide-angle lenses for landscape,
0: you know, yeah. so. I'm a portrait um, and model photographer. I can't yeah. buy any of these, so I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
3: um, <laughs> I don't know. The USB thing, uh, I don't know. kind of just seems like one more thing that could break or, you know, which version of USB is it going to be? Is it going to be USB 2, USB 3? You know, it's, I don't really care. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a real big fan of Sigma lenses anyways. I've never really had any good luck with them. So
0: I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like okay, we'll we'll wait and see. We'll keep an eye on Sigma. I mean, we had Sigma on the show, you know, to sort of talk about this stuff. I think maybe it's time to have him back on. So we'll do a show with Sigma on. Maybe we'll bring the Saconic folks on as well to talk about <laughs> the light meters and see what they think. All right, guys, it is time for a uh, quick nod to one of our sponsors, Squarespace.com. This episode is brought to you by those folks at Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. And as we've been saying on the show, Squarespace has launched a new content management system. It's called the new Squarespace. And from a technical pers- perspective, um, basically they rewrote the code underneath the the site. So they're using the newest web technologies like HTML5, CSS3, JavaScript, if you understand what that stuff is. If you don't, you could just know that it is easy for them to upgrade on the back end. And from a user perspective, they also give you a really strong mobile experience. So Basically, the, one of the buzzwords in the design industry today is responsive. The word responsive, meaning your site is smart enough, you know, having a site that's smart enough to know when it's being viewed by a certain kind of screen, whether it be an iPhone or Android phone, or a tablet, or a computer, or whatever, you know, or with a browser that's sized really small, or it's taking up the full screen the site will intelligently know that and adjust itself for that particular device or that particular screen size. So your content always looks as good as it can. So the new Squarespace, with their new templates, they're all mobile-ready with responsive designs, meaning that your site will automatically restructure itself so it it looks the best that it can possibly look, no matter what's looking at it. With the new back end that they have, they made everything drag and drop. There's a new page builder tool inside of Squarespace called the Layout Engine that allows you to customize your pages by adding blocks. So you, you basically build these building blocks on the page, such as like photos, videos, text... Social media, etc. You build it as you go instead of sort of worrying about the technical aspects behind it. Sort of a drag and drop proposition to get everything going. They also give you social integration, so you can you can import and sync and publish from social media networks with just a couple of clicks. Um, You can, like for example, you can pull photos from Instagram directly into your site, you can sync pages and galleries to Facebook. It just goes on and on and on. So these guys are really they're on the front of the wave of how things and how people want to use their sites or use sites that are created with Squarespace. And they make it really really easy. Plus on top of all this, uh they include domain registration. So, you know, when you sign up for a site You can register your domain as well. So what they're offering to the TWIP audience, if you go to squarespace.com slash TWIP and you can sign up for a free account, you don't need a credit card. You can just try it out um, and build your website. Then if you decide that you want to purchase that website, just use the offer code TWIP8. I'm sorry, TWIP9 actually. TWIP9 and get 10% off your first purchase on new accounts. That includes monthly and annual plans. And, of course, that free domain registration with uh, with annual plans. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash twip. Use the offer code twip9. And also note, if you're currently a Squarespace customer, you can convert your account and your content to the new Squarespace backend whenever you choose. And you can keep your site or you can keep your site in the, uh, the current Squarespace code if you don't feel like moving at this time. So check it out. Squarespace.com slash twip9. All right, folks, it is time for some listener Q&A. This is a segment where you guys, our guests, um, get to answer some of the questions that have been at the top of some of our listeners' minds. The first question is from Mark in Pennsylvania. Mark writes, I've been shooting 35mm film and starting to create my own black and white prints. I started on RC paper, and I'm starting to work with fiber paper. Can you recommend any intermediate-level books on the printing process? I'm looking for information on best practices, types of paper, using filters, et cetera. So, uh Nicole, I know you have an answer for this, but I think he's looking he's talking about film printing.
3: Yeah, I oh. I I realize that because I I think we're looking, at, you know, we're looking into this from a digital perspective, but yeah. then I realized, you know, I think he might actually be talking about printing from a darkroom. Yeah,
0: he's talking which about is he's awesome. talking about messy printing. Yeah. Yeah.
3: But you know, I honestly um the only book I can think of, and I I can't even recall the name of it. It was just like, the, it was like just like some ph- photography
0: book that I had when I was in high school, and I can. That over- was the name of it. Some no, photography I had, book.
3: <laughs> 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 I think I have that
0: book. <laughs> no,
3: it, it all kind of depends on what his um is it, yeah what his um understanding of working and if, he, if he's never worked in a darkroom before. It sounds like he has because he's been printing already.
0: Yeah, yeah. But
3: I don't. Yeah, that's a. That's a yeah, so he says he
0: started on RC paper, and he's starting to work with fiber, yeah. um, and he wants to know intermediate-level books on the printing process. Yeah. Did
1: you dig up this question from
0: 1981 <laughs> episode? Hey, now. Digital snob, come on. No, not at all. As a matter of
1: fact, just like Nicole, I only realized the question was geared toward Wet darkroom uh, just in the last seven seconds. Oh, yeah. You know, that's just how we're thinking these days. I think it's great that he's he's doing it. Now Steve, I you he, used
0: to print you've printed like traditional you know, dip and dunk before, right?
1: Absolutely. And and the thing is, I think what he really needs to do is sort of see what's available because that's going to dictate kind of what you can do with the traditional darkroom. I know that when I go to B&H these days, I remember what that darkroom used, section used to look like. And it's it's a real sort of sad shadow of its <laughs> form self. So, now it's replaced
0: with Epson and, and papers oh, and that no, kind of no thing,
1: quest, right? No question. I mean, I remember the whole film section is now like, something else it's binoculars and and the darkroom section used to be big but it's still there and there's still a lot of the stuff that i remember when i was you know using the wet darkroom, even growing up as a young photographer all that stuff is still available but you got to sort of see what's there and chances are there's probably not as far as I know, any contemporary books on wet darkroom that have been introduced in the last little while, but there 's a lot of stuff out there for sure used, you know go to any any used bookstore you 're going to find you know darkroom books and so on, okay. but just sort of see what 's out there, maybe google what you need to to learn and
0: and you can you can you can go with it. Well, Mark from Pennsylvania, I know we've been less than helpful with this, but <laughs> you know, actually, for, the, for the folks that are out there that 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 want to do, say, digital. I mean, I feel like we can help those folks maybe that want to do digital black and white printing. Uh, myself, I haven't printed in decades. You know, like dip and dunk printing. I, I shuttered my little home dark room a long time ago. Um, but the on the on the digital side, there's a ton of resources for the other folks that are listening. Nicole, what what would you recommend that they do if you, you know you're interested in like printing from your Epson printer and that sort of thing, and getting the best prints available from that. What do you? What are your recommendations there?
3: Right. Um, well, there's. You know, I'm very into eBooks, and I, I work with Craft and Vision, and they published a book by Martin Bailey um, called uh, "Making the Print," whom and I had dinner at-
0: with last night. By the way, so <laughs>
3: it's a, it's at Craftandvision.com. The eBook, mm-hmm. I believe, is if it's it's either five or it's either five or ten dollars. They're really inexpensive. Um, most of their books are over there are five dollars each so yeah. i 'll here in a second it 's five dollars so you know that 's a great place to start for anyone um, but just to kind of backtrack to uh, mark 's question about black and white printing yeah if he does do digital I and mean, it sounds like he probably does if he listens to the show um, you know if, if you use any of the black and white plugins or software like Nick software and silver effects and on one software 's coming out with perfect black and white here very shortly those types of plugins and and um, applications try to mimic black and white printing. Uh, so you're going to find things that, you know, when you use a red filter in a, on a digital image, it's going to affect it similarly, similarly to how it will affect it. If you threw that bread filter in your actual, um, enlarger, you know, in the darkroom. So, you know, you can kind of at least get a feel for what things are going to do. I you know, for, you know, I, I did a lot of printing in high school and so I'm familiar with it. Um, And then, so it was an easier transition for me to go and understand how these all of this darkroom digital darkroom stuff works. So that might be an idea. It's you know because printing in the darkroom is different than way different than inkjet printing. You know because you have to balance colors and resolution and all that stuff.
0: Yeah. Now, Steve, what about you? You got any any thoughts on inkjet printing?
1: Um, Well, yeah, I I I would recommend um, uh, he's you know. Full disclosure, he's a friend of mine, but he's probably, you know, the smartest guy I know in terms of all this stuff uh, as, a, as a digital printer. And he's got a new com course that I thought about called Inkjet Printing for Photographers. So, mm. you know, there's, there's a, he's got a few titles that are really, really good. Uh, his name is Ben Long, and he, he also – and he knows his stuff. So that's one way to go.
0: Did he really <laughs> I mean, have to put four photographers on there? Inkjet Printing for – who else would that? it be for? Oh, yeah. Well, fair enough. But, you inkjet know, the, Printing for Astronauts.
1: You know. The, the idea of like traditional, you know, dark darkroom stuff, I mean, there, there's, you know, not to, I, I hope we're not giving the wrong impression because certainly there's a, you know, there's a, a big community of traditional uh, enthusiasts, enthusiastic film photographers doing their own printing. Um, you know, there, it's an art and it's a little bit of a dying art, but but it's not going away. And, you know, even at schools like ICP, which still has their traditional darkroom, young students are kind of rejecting digital to sort of go with, you know, the traditional for for some of the reasons we kind of liked it to to begin with, yeah. but um,
0: it's 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 harder and more expensive to do these days for sure. Now, Eric, are you printing at all, or do, or do you send everything out? What's your what's your mo?
2: I send everything out these days. Uh, I used to print, but I realized I was doing it for fun and to learn. So I've given workshops on mostly uh, the color part of printing. Um, specifically, CMYK conversions for delivery to magazines and things like that. Yeah. Um, but I do very little printing these days. If someone wants to print, I just I farm it out these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I love it. I love it. I'm 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 kind of both. So I do I send stuff out, but Martin Bailey has got me on this whole bandwagon bandwagon of um, printing and he just he was just here in the bay area this last weekend he did a whole workshop his um what is it pixels to pigment tour um where he was you know basically teaching people how to take a shot and print it and then do a gallery wrap from it the whole thing and it's addicting you know once you do it problem with that stuff is if you when you want to get to the gallery wrap stage of it you need a big printer <laughs> so yeah you got to print cuz you lose 2 inches on either side when you want to wrap that thing so yeah crazy yeah, I-
1: I was just going to say for it uh, we 've talked about this before, but when you see a beautiful when you see one of your photos made as a beautiful print, I mean that is still you know, the thing. I mean when you see a print that's that's beautifully done, ready, you know, to hang up, you're you're gonna look at your you're gonna look at a photograph in a different way. It it communicates in a different way. And you know, that's not going away. I think what's gone away is the time that we need to sort of devote to make them. But when you invest in in making, you know, great prints of your own work and hanging them or having a show, uh, it really reaches an audience in a way that uh, you know, surfing the web and, and other ways of looking on your iPad, just just doesn't it doesn't come close to.
0: Yeah, I love it. Something about atoms versus electrons, right?
1: <laughs> I guess.
0: All right, Brendan Carlson writes. He says, "I've been photographing, or I've been, I'm sorry, experiencing photographer's block recently. I found it hard to enjoy shooting. Normally, I love it. I've shot as an amateur and shot pro weddings, and for now, I just want to get back into it. Any tips would be appreciated." So he's having. You know, issues getting back into photography. Nicole, what do you think? You know, how how does Brendan get re-inspired to get back into the photography game?
3: Yeah, well, that's just it. You know, it's all about inspiration. You have to find something that kind of makes something click. That you know, where you're like, oh, I want to go take pictures of that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that means stepping away from the camera and doing something that's completely non-related to photography. Uh, Maybe doing something analog, like um, working with your hands. You know pottery or knitting or whatever you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> building a house i don't know something that you know something manly right um but it you know i've looked through magazines and i look at a lot of pictures um like when i went to shoot food if i'm not sure what i want to shoot or if i'm just like i i'm kind of bored of shooting food i will look at a lot of photographs and that's another way that i get inspired go to 500 pixel uh, go on google plus um just search on random sites, go to national geographic, you know, and look at their beautiful galleries. Uh, and just don't force it, you know, like little things like that, you know, you just kind of have to let it come naturally and it's, it's, it's easier said than done, but you know, I think we all hit those stages but you kind of just have to find something that really excites you and kind of pulls you back in. And maybe that means finding a completely different type of photography. Maybe if he's been shooting, uh, weddings, um, then maybe he should step away from that and try something different. And then maybe he'll get inspired and go back and shoot weddings. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, That's a great, that's that's a, that's the salient point right there. If you're, if you're getting stale and sort of burned out on one particular genre of photography, you know, take two steps back, move to the left and try a different genre. Right. Eric, what about you? I mean, when you, when you hit a, a dry spell and you're just like, you know what, I don't even feel like looking at my camera right now. How do you get back into it?
2: Well, I had photographer's block pretty much until I was, uh, like, 25 or something. <laughs> you know, I, I, well, I mean, I really wanted to, to take pictures, and I had a camera, I knew how to use it, use it. but <clears throat> I think what Nicole said is, is right. I mean, I discovered the inspiration totally separate from the photography. I, I went underwater, and I discovered that world, and it was a world in which photography was, was very difficult. But that meant that I was improving all the time. You know, every time I went under, I learned something new, and that that there's a huge amount of inspiration for me in that learning process. Um, and, and these days, you know, now that I have found that if I have if I get blocked, I, I will typically try to um, constrain myself in some way. You know, I'll use one camera and one lens. You know, a lens that I love subjectively for some reason i'm not sure why i love it but I, it feels good and so i'll just put that lens on and I'll, I'll use it even if it's not necessarily the the right lens to use and i found that you know fewer options for me leads to more creativity
0: love it love it yeah constrain yourself yeah i i agree i totally agree with that which is why I, you know a lot of photographers are like you know what i'm gonna buy every lens available and then the creativity will come i think that's the <laughs> The no. exact opposite of how it actually works. So, you know, if you have the means to buy every lens available, then it's probably a detriment to your overall art. Steve, what about you? Where do you fall on this? <laughs> yeah.
1: In? Well, I, I, you know, I agree with what you guys are saying, absolutely. I mean, you know, constraint is good. I know the great Freeman Patterson, uh, beautiful nature photography Canadian, uh, one of the assignments he would give is, uh, you know, lock yourself in a bathroom with a macro lens and don't come out until you've got like 100 great shots. And, and once you back start at floor. least steve i don't know <laughs> 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 Once you start to explore, you know you start to, to see things in a different way. I think if you can sort of connect with your passion, what it was that got Brendan excited about photography in the first place, and that is to find some sort of personal project that you know will get him excited, will make him want to go out and shoot. And when you start it and you get a couple of great shots, that's often all the inspiration you need to just continue. And then before you know it, you're obsessed and back at it. I think you've got to shoot your way through. You just have to pick that camera up and just kind of kind of you know, I, I know there are many ways to go, but sometimes just shooting your way through it um, to the other side uh, is, is the way to go.
0: I love it. Yeah. Great, great advice from all you guys. Thank you. Thank you for that. All right. Um, let's jump into this next, uh, sponsor, which is a brand new sponsor for this weekend photo, um, Shutterstock.com. So they thank you, Shutterstock, for sponsoring the show. We appreciate it. So Shutterstock has over 20 million stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and video clips. So if you're looking for images for your website, your blog, your print ad, a trade show swag, anything, they've got a ton of stuff for you to choose from. There's over 10,000 images added each day. So basically, to run down the list of what they give you, it's a they've got a global image co- uh, collection. So you can find images from across the world to suit your project. You can choose between image packs and monthly subscription packages. So basically you can choose what you need to fit your needs with no need to compromise or anything. Um, if you find if you find if you need just one image image for your blog or for some mock-up that you're working on, you can just download that. Plus when you purchase an image, you can download any any image in any size, and you pay one price for that. So they don't nickel and dime you for high resolution images or anything like that. Do you need it? You just grab it and go. And they do the whole lightbox thing. So as you browse through their site, you can add images to your lightbox to purchase later. Um, multiple content types it just goes on and on. The cool thing that I like about uh, the Shutterstock thing is their Shutterstock, Shutterstock site is their iOS or their iPad app I downloaded that thing and even if you don't buy anything from Shutterstock we were talking about inspiration just a second ago you can just look through some of the images that have been uploaded to the Shutterstock site for inspiration it's a free iOS app that you can download and play with and just sort of go through and the design of the app is just really really elegant they've done a really good job on that app and you know like I was saying before with the whole light box gallery as you browse through there, you know, you're sitting on your couch looking for a particular image, you can flag them, throw them in your light box, and move on from there. So, definitely go check them out. I'm a big fan of them. So, you can sign up for free. Just head over to shutterstock.com. You can sign up with a free account again. You don't need a credit card. And then when you find the images that you de- that you like and you decide to purchase, make sure you use the offer code TWIP 9 it'll save you 30% off any package at shutterstock.com and be sure to use the code twip9 and you know of course tell them this week in photo sent you all right guys uh it is time for that famous part of the show we call it the picks of the week it is uh, a segment where you can pick anything as long as it is somehow related to photography eric you are the new yes. guy. You are the FNG, as we would call you in the military. <laughs> <laughs> right. Nicole, you know what that means, right? Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Eric, you're the FNG. What's your pick of the week?
2: I was wondering when an F-bomb would get
0: dropped. <laughs> <laughs> it was an F-acronym bomb. <laughs> yeah, F-acronym bomb. Yeah,
2: um, I, have a, I have a good one. Um, I, there's, a, there's a little uh, app called C- ClipRap. C-L-I-P-W-R-A-P by Divergent Media, and um, it's uh, you, you know you use these like you use a Sony NEX or something, and you take a bunch of video, and it's A-B-C-H-D, HD. Yeah. Plug it into your computer, and you get this directory of crap, you know, and then your your video files are somewhere in there. And you have to use some kind of import tool to transcode, and it takes hours. It's super annoying. I know people who don't don't shoot video as a re, you know as a result, and so what ClipWrap does is it rewraps your uh ABC, HD and HDV media. If you're still, you know, if you have old HDV files, oh. um, and it rewraps them into QuickTime without transcoding, and it's the only app that does this. No, you're no kidding loss. me.
0: I need this. Completely <laughs>
2: lossless. Yeah, I've sold like a million of these these things. You know, by referral. It also transcodes if you want, but I just use it to read. So what I'll do is I'll you know plug in or insert my SD card in my computer, and I'll go find the MTS files, and I'll just wrap them into QuickTime and. Um, you know, you do lose some metadata, so typically I'll rename them using the date and time first, and yeah. then I'll wrap them. And you just get these QuickTime movies, which uh, which you can view anywhere.
0: Oh, that's that's great, and that's free, right? It's well, there's a
2: trial. It's it's uh, I think it's fifty bucks, 99 okay, or something. Okay, it's worth
0: it. It's totally worth it. That's that's a perfect pick. Thank you for that. Your first pick on this week in photo is a hit. Thank you. <laughs> All right, uh, thanks, Eric. So Nicole Young, Nicole S. Young, what's your pick of the week?
3: Uh, my pick of the week is On One Software's Perfect Photo Suite 7. Now, we talked about this in last week's show, but mm-hmm. I don't think we actually gave it as a pick. So that's my pick this week. Um,
0: and what's in that? What's in that besides my favorite plugin on Earth, Focal Point?
3: Focal Point. Well, okay. So it has... <laughs> okay. I can run through it real quickly here. I'm writing yeah. a book on it, so I'm very versed in all of the features. Yeah. Uh, layers for people who don't use Photoshop or maybe just want to jump in and out real quickly without using Photoshop. Layers is um, actually I think I believe it's a free app, so you don't even have to uh, use the other products for it. Uh, Perfect Mask is awesome if you if you mask uh, anything out or replace skies or take out white backgrounds or whatever. Perfect portrait. Um, just to quickly, you know, edit faces and retouch faces. Perfect effects. Uh, it's just, you know, it's really a really fun way to um, add a lot of different effects. You can do things subtly. You can do things real crazy. You can have a lot of fun with it. Perfect black and white is their brand new app. It's very similar. Um, well, I guess the only way that people will really be familiar with the way it works is a uh, Nick Silver effects is kind of I guess a competitor to that. So um, it's awesome. It, it did a really good job with it. Focal point where you can create like a shallow depth of field uh you know the backgrounds of your photos and use masking and stuff to make everything look cool you can do like that tilt shift effect and all that stuff wow. and then perfect resize to enlarge images and you can also create uh, gallery wraps like the mirrored borders around the outsides uh you can buy the entire suite um or you can buy them individually so very cool there's all my right. pitch but no I, I think it's a great product i don't you know i'm i'm friends with the company i don't make any money from them uh, other than affiliate I, I guess you know it doesn't really count but um You know, I think this, I just think it's a great product, so.
0: Very cool. All right. On One Software's Perfect Photo Suite 7. Thanks, Nicole. All right. Steve Simon, what is your pick of the week?
1: Well, I know it's kind of predictable, but I'll I'll just say the D six hundred. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm a Nikon guy, an unabashed Nikon guy. But the camera, it really is a, a beautiful camera. I'm looking forward to to having it, especially with that twenty four to eighty five as my walk around lens. So I think I think they're available now. So I just need the money, but I'm going to pick one up, and uh, we're going to hear pretty quickly uh, what the thoughts are from the uh, people that that purchase them. So. So, yeah.
0: And at some point, we're going to see a review on your brand new blog. Where is it? SteveSimon. Where is it? Well, I know. SteveSimonPhoto.com?
1: I link to it, and I say that it's going to be launched on September 25th, although I don't say 2012. So, hopefully, (laughs) um, it will be this year, but there is a chance it may get delayed.
0: Steve, no. You're not leaving the back door. You got (laughs) Get that vlog up. You know, there's a, a Squarespace or Where do you
1: guys have the time to do this stuff, man? I, you I haven't mastered
0: that yet, huh? No, Steve? I haven't. Yeah. I haven't. Well,
1: I, I watch a lot of daytime TV, so I gotta maybe cut down on that.
0: Days of our <laughs> lives. Let it go, Steve. Let it go. <laughs> All right, guys. All right, thanks, Steve, thank you. Um and my pick really quickly is a new company that just hit the scene. It's a company called iAcrylic.net. The letter I, like, you know, as an iOS acrylic. .net. and um i ordered a print from these guys i ordered a, I think it was a 16 by 20 half inch thick half inch of a r- acrylic backed in stainless steel this thing came and you know it was like it showed up on my front porch and i was like uh what is this and i picked it up it's heavy felt like it was full of lead um and i opened it up and it revealed this like I can't even you can't even put it into words. It was how how amazing this print looked that that was covered in this half inch thick of acrylic that it just sort of looked like a like an instant heirloom. You know, that's the best way I can describe it. You look at it, and you're like, okay, this is going to be in the family for about 400 years because mm-hmm. it's not. It is not going away. Well. You're not scratching it. You're not bending it. It is. It is beautiful. You know that acrylic, like you, like if you go to an Apple store and you see the acrylic that they have on all the tables with the iPads laying on and all that? It's that stuff. But it's on top and, and molded to the top of a print with a stainless steel backing on it and mounting gear for you to hang it on the wall. So I ordered one of those, and it was amazing. So the reason I made it my pick is because, you know, honestly, I think they got their pricing wrong because I'm looking at the website and the the prices that they put on their website i think are are wholesale prices for photographers and i think they should put retail up there but like they have a 20 by 30 half inch thick uh acrylic print for 185 bucks <laughs>
3: for- Yeah, these prices, I'm looking at the price list too. I'm like, wow, these are really inexpensive. And
0: and I got what I'm looking at it right now, Nicole. This thing is, you could charge, if you wholesale it at at a 20 by 30 at 185 bucks, you could easily add a zero to that, you know, and, 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 you know, for retail easily, at least a zero to it. And, you know, so it's got to, it had to be a pick of the week because the prices right now are so low. I mean, it's like, okay, if you can't afford not to order one. (laughs) <laughs> I mean look at the highest one they make is a thirty by forty inch, thirty by forty for two hundred and forty five bucks. Well you can know? get an
3: eight by twelve for thirty eight
0: dollars. It's insane. Yes.
3: I might I might try one of these out then. This is pretty
0: neat. <laughs> no. And I ordered I mean, I didn't believe it, so I'm like, okay, what can it hurt? I'll get a sixteen by twenty, it's eighty five bucks, whatever. You know, I ordered this thing and I'm, and it came, I'm like, holy crap, it's amazing. You know, people wow. come to my house and they see it, they're like, dude, where'd you get that? You know, it's just it's hard to put into words they need to do like a like an iphone 5 type video of what these things look like because they're just amazing do
3: a a review
0: yeah i think i might i think i will i think i will yeah because it's it's amazing so definitely i wanted to share with the with the with the twip audience because who knows when these prices will actually become (laughs) realistic again (laughs) So definitely check oh. them out. They're at iAcrylic. We'll link to it in the show notes, but at iAcrylic.net. Eric, you should look at this for some of your underwater photography, you know, because hanging in your swank loft over there, I think these would look really good. So,
2: <laughs> Yeah, well, it looks awesome.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it really it looks cool. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. All right, guys. Uh, we are at the end of another show. These shows just like fly by. Uh, Thank you all for for coming on Eric I'll give you the, the honor of going first Where can people go to check out Some of your underwater photography Keep up with your sort of talks And what you're doing and all that stuff
2: uh, well my website is echang.com e c h e n g.com you can click through to my photo page which is 10 years old <laughs> so uh, i'm i'm long overdue for a website update hey but um, you're 10 years
0: ahead of steve simon <laughs> exactly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's right
2: uh, i'm i'm also on twitter at echang e c h e n g and google plus at echang or plus E-Chang, I, I should say. And uh, Facebook, unfortunately, is E-Chang1, which really pisses me
0: off. <laughs> you need to go have a talk with that other E-Chang.
2: Were
3: sitting at your computer like the rest of us when they opened up the custom
0: URL? Yeah.
2: I actually had an alarm set, but I was watching a movie with a friend, and it turned off, and I missed it. I hope it was a good movie. <laughs>
0: I know. I don't even remember what was it, it was. Was it Air Force One? <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. All right. Well, Eric, thank you for coming on. This is your first time. Hopefully, you'll come on again, and uh, this won't be your last time. It was a pleasure having you on. Thanks right. for having me. You're welcome. Nicole, uh, where can people go to find out what you're working on and see some of your food photography and that that uh, cryptic trip that you're talking <laughs> about taking?
3: Uh, well, my blog is nicolezyblog.com. It's N-I-C-O-L-E-S-Y. And everything else is nicolezy. <laughs> Twitter is nicolezy. Google Plus is plus nicolezy. Facebook is nicolezy. So you could Google nicolezy and you'll
0: find me. Nice. You own the term nicolezy on Google. I
3: almost own it. I'm still trying to get nicolezy.com. Nice. If anyone oh. out there has leverage.
0: Mm. All right. You'll pay for it. You'll send them, a, <laughs> you'll send them an acrylic print if they give you that. <laughs> there we go. Here's my payment. Assigned <laughs> signed eye acrylic print. All right. And Steve Simon, where can people yes. go to well, find we'll out see my what Steve's my new up to? and
1: my new and improved blog, uh, not my new and improved website, stevesimonphoto.com, and it will link to my imaginary blog, so you'll be able to check that out as well. Hopefully that'll be up soon Uh, no hopefully don't leave yourself oh no no. it's gonna happen it's gonna happen i'm not gonna try i must do
0: okay like yoda says there is no try there is exactly (laughs) exactly and then
1: twitter slash steve simon love the twitter and i'm also on google plus and facebook uh slash the passionate photographer and a, a quick shout out if if you read my passionate photographer book and and you liked it um you know drop a review on uh, Amazon because it, it helps and I've uh, had, had some good reviews. If you didn't like it, uh, certainly write a review. Just don't post it anywhere.
0: Nice. <laughs> if you didn't like mm-hmm. it, just exactly. write it in your diary. Keep it to exactly. yourself. Exactly. <laughs> Keep
1: it to yourself and your, your loved ones will find it. You know, your grandchildren will find it later.
3: You know, just, just off of that, Steve, uh, I don't think that people who who are not authors, I don't think they understand the value of a rating, like a review on a book. Yeah. I mean, even if they're just saying this is a good book with a five-star or a four-star or whatever, it has a lot of weight. You know, people look at those, so... Yeah. It
1: does. I think, you know, authors are extremely sensitive. So, oh my gosh. They, I mean, it's it's hard not to look. And I've talked, and, and, Nicole, we haven't had this talk, but I know that, you know, when you get a, a bad review, it's sort of like, um, well, you know, you have a good cry, and, you know, you <laughs> want to get in touch with the guy and sort of, you know, make things right and all that kind of stuff. Not everyone's going to love you. I understand that. But um, I think people, um, you know, they they really like the book and sometimes will send you a, a personal note, but it does help to, to put it up there. So that's why I yeah. just
0: threw that out. Love it. Yeah. So yeah, let me echo that. If you if you guys like any of the books from any of your photography authors, really, but especially your This Week in Photo authors that come on, please let them know that you like it, you know, because you guys read every single comment that comes through, right?
1: We're so needy. We need the, the
0: positive <laughs> need reinforcement. The pos- positive affirmations and, and reinforcement, yeah. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Well, guys, thank you. And uh, for the listeners, if you want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can check us out on ThisWeekInPhoto.com. Also, please support this show by leaving us a comment on iTunes. We read each and every one of those. And also, please be sure to check out the TWIP podcast app. It's a handy way for you to keep on top of our newest shows and also go back and listen to some of our greatest hits that have happened in the years past. And finally, if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off.